Uh, for those of you that, that haven't been here, my sermon series over the past seven weeks have been on letting go of things that eclipse our faith and our trust in God that enable us to live a life that is abundant and free, not all bound up. And to illustrate it, um, I've got a book bag, and each topic is one of these books, impulses, you know, those things that drive us to make decisions, emotions uh, that get us into trouble sometimes, worry, things that we can't control, and yet we, we worry about all the time. We, we uh, carry those around stuff. We have a lot of things in life. We're, we're a materialistic society, and, and it's good to have, but not too much of it, right? There are resentments that we have, old grudges that we can't let go of because, well, they're just hard to let go of and to forgive. There's fears that we have, things that we are worried about happening, and yet we have no control over. There's opinions of others, things that others may say or think about us that, that weigh heavy on us, and we have a hard time getting past those sometimes. And then, of course, today we have defeat. Our defeats in life can weigh us down, can't they? And if you total all of these things together... I call it soul baggage, soul baggage that's heavy and burdensome and is just something that, well, weighs us down. We need to give it up to God. And today we're going to talk about giving up defeat to God because that's what Easter is all about, right? Right. From Luke's Gospel today, chapter 24, verses 1 through 12 is his account of the Easter Sunday morning. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified on the third day and be raised again? Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, the women told all these things to the eleven disciples and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. And that's the word of God for the people of God today. Thanks be to God. Well, let's pray together, please. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together 
be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, on this Easter Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, isn't Easter Sunday, this story, really a comeback story for the ages? It is. Everybody likes a comeback story. When someone is down and out, bottomed out, in the pits, and suddenly finds it within themselves to rise up and overcome what it is, defeat, that they have experienced. Easter Sunday is such as that, and so much that we're still talking about it today. Some 2,000 years later, or close to that, anyway. On Friday, it must have seemed to the disciples that God was defeated. That this son that they had been following for three years, this Messiah that Israel had long waited for, was arrested, tried, tortured, crucified, and buried. And what makes you think more about being defeated than death, right? Imagine on Saturday what the disciples experienced. Today, when it was their Sabbath, they would worship God and meditate upon the things of God. Did they doubt? I'm sure they did. The God that they knew they were supposed to worship that day. But then Easter Sunday came, and, and the women went to the tomb to continue or complete the embalming process that they would have done according to Jewish custom for Jesus in his tomb, and the stone was gone, and, and they were told that he was not among the dead, but among the living. And so they go back, rush back to the disciples to tell the good news, and what did the men do? Oh, it's a bunch of nonsense, they thought. Of the 11 left, minus Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, only one of them, Peter, in the back of his mind, perhaps thought maybe, just maybe, it was possible. And so he ran to the tomb to see for himself. And there he saw the, the cloths lying there as if someone had gotten up in the morning and taken them off and laid them on the floor or on the bedside table and walked out the door. But Peter still doubted himself wondered at least what it was that was happening. Well, the failure of the disciples was an epic fail. Jesus, in his greatest moment of need, after spending three years and personally calling and choosing these 12 disciples, by the time Friday came, they all had abandoned him. The scriptures say that when Jesus was arrested and taken to be tried and they, they all scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Peter, at least, went to, to see what was going to happen to Jesus. But despite opportunities to speak up on his behalf, to stand up with him, to be a friend in a time of need, he totally, completely failed. He wondered if he, he could ever come back from that. That's what they all were thinking about on Saturday. Peter wondered on Sunday morning, is it possible, maybe just possible, that, that Jesus could be alive and that perhaps I could, could come back from all of the failures that I have thrown at him and the ways that my faith has failed? Well, Simon Peter was given his name, you know, that we call him. 
He was Simon, but we normally call him Peter now, which means the rock. And Jesus gave him that name. Why? Because he saw the most potential in him. Peter, the rock. And he said, on you, I'm going to build my church. That's how great you are. He's the one that stepped into Peter's boat up on Galilee and said, let's go out fishing, when he hardly ever knew him. And they went out and had this miraculous catch of fish. And Peter was humbled and knew that he was in the presence of God. And Jesus said, from now on, you're going to be fishers of people instead. Peter said one time when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am, Peter? And he said, you're the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for to come and save us. Peter even said one time that he would go to Jesus to the death. And yet when Jesus was arrested, Simon Peter, like all the others, failed to live up to his calling and his confession. He proved to be a coward when boldness was required. You know, I, I think all of us have faced failures in our lives, haven't we? We've been defeated. We've been down and out because we've either had a moral failure that, that may have seemed like a good thing at the right time and yet it led to dark places. Or maybe we've let someone down that truly has counted on us to be there in a moment of need. Maybe uh, we've made bad business or investment decisions, and, and it's cost us tremendously. Maybe you're still getting out of debt. Maybe there's a health issue that you struggle with, and you think, I'm never going to be able to fully come back from this. Maybe you've lost someone, and you're grieving, and you think, Life is never going to be the same again for me. And I'm never going to be able to see light beyond this darkness. And to that, we are right there heart to heart with Peter on Good Friday and Saturday state of mind. And yet Easter is about comeback stories. It's about God doing within us things that we cannot do for ourselves. And for Peter... That seemed to be the case. The Bible goes on to tell us that after Jesus appeared to Peter, that he was restored and redeemed for his mistakes, and he was given a new lease on life and did not just great things, tremendous things. Peter went on to preach about Jesus and his resurrection and his good news boldly in ways that had never been done before. Acts chapter 5, verses 40 through 42 tell us about a time when he and the other disciples, after Jesus had been resurrected and ascended to, to be with God in heaven, when, when they were arrested by the Jewish authorities for preaching outside of the temple. And they were wondering how to get rid of them, how to silence them like they had silenced Jesus. And this is what the account says. In Acts, they called the apostles in and they had them flogged and they ordered them not to speak the name of Jesus and they let them go. And the apostles left the council rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to be shamed for the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped preaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And tradition tells us that Peter would go on to travel, as would other apostles, to spread the good news of this resurrected Messiah. And they, they 
lost their lives because of him. Easter is a story of epic proportions, of comebacks. And I want to, to um, say just a, a word before we conclude today about our defeats and how God desires for us and wants for us to let go of those and let him. No matter what it is that you've screwed up in life, no matter where you have fallen short or failed, God desires for you to claim victory over those things so that you can put them behind you and move on in life. Easter is a comeback story, and if we should hear anything today, it is that God can come up, overcome all things, even death itself, but even the things that we may think are insignificant in our lives. Not the case. Because by faith, God enables us to do tremendous, amazing things. Don't we often look to the world of sports to find inspiration? And there's something about sport. Maybe it's the competition factor. Maybe it's that we see the, the drama of, of great successes and, and tremendous failures. It's like a human drama we watch being played out that we can really relate to. It's to sports that we often look to see great comeback stories and to be inspired for that. Who was it? I think Howard Cosell, the great, great announcer of old who always talked about the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat in sport. And if you were watching last weekend, golf by chance, uh, Tiger Woods won the Masters, which he's won a lot of tournaments but not for a very, very long time, not something that big. Since 2011, when he epic failed, face-planted, before all the world to see, failure of family and morality, failure of, well, a lot of different levels and injuries, and now at age 44, he's stuck with it and persevered and come back to be able to win a significant event. Sports uh, inspire us and we see the pain and the struggle of those people that flop, and we can relate. But then we can experience great victory in following them. Think about your favorite sports teams. If you're a real fan, you get into it, right? You hurt when they hurt, and you rally and get excited when they win. Well, one story I want to close with today, and that is the... Um, March Madness that culminated on April 8th of this past year, just a few weeks ago. On Monday night, it was the University of Virginia winning their first ever National Basketball Championship. Now, back in the day, as my kids like to say about my younger days, Ralph Sampson was the king of the ACC in Virginia, played really good basketball. They made it to the Final Four, but not the National Championship. And I know we have probably zero University of Virginia fans here. All right, Buzz is from Virginia. And he's proud of it after two weeks ago. But it was an amazing comeback story for them to win the championship this year after what happened the same time last year. Because they had every opportunity and the road was paved for them and, and everything seemed to come together right at the right time for them to make a drive for the national championship through March Madness. They had won the ACC championship last year. 
Uh, they had a, a uh, roster stacked with talent. Uh, their coach, Tony Bennett, not the singer, the coach, um, had built a very successful program. They were ranked number one in the country, not a number one seed, but of all 64 teams that played in the tournament, they were the best. And their first game down in Charlotte, they played a school I'd never heard of before, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. That would be like UNCG, perhaps. But they were the number 16 seed, meaning the worst in that, in that bracket. And lo and behold, they not only beat Virginia, they whipped Virginia by 20 points. It was the first time in basketball, NCAA men's history at least, that a number 16 team had upset the number one team. Virginia had nothing to do but to go home. Humiliated, beaten, and really uh, hiding out. Kind of like the disciples, I guess. One of the assistant coaches in an interview I read said that he didn't leave his house for two weeks after that because he wanted the tournament to finish out and he didn't want to be seen anywhere near campus for people to throw things at him. It was a difficult defeat, a dark time that, that the best team with the greatest opportunity face-planted and failed altogether miserably. How would you come back from that, right? How could you stage a comeback like from something that hard and that difficult? And as the summer came about, after students left school and went home for the summer, the coach Tony Bennett got his staff together and they started talking about what they did wrong, what mistakes they made, how could they possibly do so terribly when things looked so good? And they did a lot of soul searching. But it was his wife that inspired him. She pointed him to a, a preacher, uh, a video of a preacher telling a story about his dad when he was a, a young boy that, that really inspired him and gave him the motivation to go to his team and help them get past this hurdle of the ultimate epic failure. And this, this Methodist preacher told the story about his, his father as a child had a very traumatic event that occurred in his life, and it changed his trajectory of how he was going to look at things, of what he had planned to do with his life. And his mother encouraged him along the way and told him, you need, son, to tell people what has happened to you about the trauma that you have experienced. And, well, this is what she said. When something bad happens to you, son, it will sit on top of you like a heavy rock. And if you never tell that story, it's just going to sit there on top of you forever. But if you will begin to tell that story, you will climb out from under that rock. And eventually, you're going to sit on top of that rock instead. And... This Methodist preacher said that his father told him that life changed dramatically once he understood and he knew that. And so Coach Bennett knew after seeing that that he had to go not only tell his team but show his team. They needed to tell the story about what they had done wrong, about the mistakes they had made, about an arrogance that they felt, about not being there for one another in their times of need, about how they had completely failed. And in doing that, they found that they were released of that and were able to let go of it and to see a brighter chapter that was ahead 
And so they played this last season and, and did pretty well and had a number one ranking along the way but lost it and had it and lost it. And, and they didn't win the ACC tournament. And when they got to the NCAA tournament, same game where they had lost last year so miserably by 20 points to a number 16 seed, why they were playing little Gardner-Webb and they were down 15 points at the half but they battled back and they were able to overcome it. They kept winning, they kept going along, and down the stretch they played three really good teams that were, were just phenomenal. They were, were able to take them all, even though they were behind up to the last seconds of the game, they were able to come back and to persevere and to overcome those, those perceived losses. But most of all, they were able to overcome the epic failure and defeat that they faced the year before. The Sports Illustrated cover story for the week when they won just simply had one word across, across the picture. It said redeemed. And this is what Andy Staples, the writer of that cover story, said in conclusion. They started the season by lifting that rock up off themselves and telling the story of defeat. And when they had eliminated the possibility of doing that again, they flung away that stone and they smashed it into pieces so the next chapter could begin. And what a lovely, powerful story of sport, but what an epic, incredible illustration of, of resurrection of Easter. When the women went to the tomb and expected to see that heavy stone of death lying there, it was, it was moved, removed out of the way, and they were able to see not only inside, but that the tomb was empty. What heavy stones are weighing upon you today, and what is it? Worry or fear or impulse or the opinions of others that's weighing you down that you can't get past and out of? Wow, the resurrection power that God gives to us all, says to us, don't give up and don't give in because God is not done with you yet, no matter what the heavy stone, no matter how much of a failure or how completely humiliated you may feel, God has another chapter in store for you as he did for the disciples and as he does for the world. And so we rejoice today that, that our Lord is King. And is raised from the dead and gives us victory over all things in life, including death. So this morning, let's stand and sing. Rejoice, the Lord is King, for our closing hymn of dedication.